but rest assured, uh, if this were India, <laughs> then we'd, we'd, there, you would all be happily settled, and then suddenly 30 more people would come in. <laughs> and they would make space. But if you're feeling a little cramped, uh, of course there's more space out here. Um, are we okay with air? I think in this room, but in that room, are we okay? All right, good. We don't want anyone suffocating. So, um, again, thank you all for coming. I believe uh, some of you are, I know some of you are very much familiar with sort of our general topic, Bhakti Yoga. Others of you may be less familiar. Um, I think the word yoga has become quite a common where people know about yoga. How many of you have uh, have done or are doing some uh, physical yoga asana practice? Anyone? Some, several of you. Okay, so you're familiar. Maybe some of you are yoga teachers. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Sure. One of them are over there. Oh. Okay, yoga teachers. Very good. So you'll probably be very familiar with much. What's this part? Oh, oh, now I get, now I get real comfortable. <laughs> um, okay, so as you know, we focus here very much on uh, a particular sort of yoga called bhakti, bhakti yoga, and uh, that's mainly what we like to talk about, and we especially uh, focus on a particular text called the Bhagavad Gita. Um, I believe more and more uh, students of yoga, people who are practicing asana, pranayama, and so on, more and more people are becoming interested. And here comes the water. That's not good for me. Anyway. More and more people are becoming interested in the philosophy uh, behind yoga. And uh, in particular, many people are reading, studying, uh, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Um, they may be studying other works, and some may also be studying the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, the Bhagavad Gita is so called, although originally it didn't have a name. Uh, it came to be called the Bhagavad Gita. But the Bhagavad Gita is composed of uh, 18 of the chapters of the Mahabharata, which is a vastly larger work than the Bhagavad Gita. And it's 
So it's a section, it's a kind of, I like to call it an interlude. You know this word? In, uh, interlude. It's a musical term, isn't it? Some no. <laughs> what would be the Croatian word for interlude? Introduction. Kind of an introduction. An interlude is you have a piece of music and then there's this break in between. Between acts, between what act one, act two, there is interlude, you go take a break. Exactly. Thank you. Okay, so. So the Bhagavad Gita is something like that. It's an interlude in the story, which is the Mahabharata. It's a massive story, and it's, for the most part, a very tragic story uh, of a war, a, um, and a, a, a war within a family. How did you say? And. Uh, so that's a long, that would be a whole other discussion. It's an interlude in, uh, in the sense that just before the battle, the first day of this battle takes place, um, Arjuna, one of the main warriors, if not the, yeah, one of the main warriors, on the side of what we call in America, the good guys <laughs> has what also we might call in America a nervous breakdown <laughs> when he sees what are the he knew already very well but now he sees facing him ready to fight against him and his uh, companions his his family, his, his brothers, he sees them in front of himself and he's practically shocked. Uh, that how can I fight against these people? How can I fight about against those who are so dear to me actually? If somehow we're on both on two sides. Um, but actually, we are the same family. So how can we? How can I do this? And at that point, he's in such a state of disturbance. He's kind of saying two things at once, and uh, he's expressing his great distress and his resolve to withdraw from the from the fight. And at the same time, he is open to uh, instruction, advice from his charioteer. And his charioteer happens to be no ordinary charioteer. He is none other than Lord Krishna. And it's because of his openness, he's on the one side resolved, I'm not going to fight. And on the other side, he's, he says, you please direct me, you advise me. And that opening is Krishna's opportunity, and he speaks uh, the remaining 
17 chapters of the Bhagavad Gita. Now, I mentioned the word yoga is very well known. What may be less known is what the word yoga means. And in the Sanskrit language, they have what are called the uh, hatus, which are uh, verbal core uh, words, not even complete words, but from these verbs. What was the word for verb? We learned that today. Glagula. Glagula. Interesting. <laughs> so, um, so the, the verbal root of yoga is yuj. So you spell it in Latin transliteration, upsilon uh, u yot, you would say, yot. So that's yuj. Mm. And, and this means, one of the meanings of this is uh, to link. Or, in English, it means um, we have what's called a cognate word, and that is to yoke. And the verb to yoke is used when you um, bring together, well, it can be one, either a horse or it can be an ox, and you yoke um, the horse or the ox to a cart uh, or to a chariot, and that is called yoga. And it turns out, it's interesting, um, the scholars tell us that that is the earliest use of the word yoga, is that when there was a battle and uh, the warriors were preparing for battle, they would be strapping up the horses onto the chariots, and that was called yoga. which is interesting and ironic because in what eventually came to be called Ashtanga Yoga, Ashtanga, Eight-Limbed Yoga, which is uh, described briefly in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Um, the, the first of the eight yogas, as I think some of you will know, is Yama. And yama means moral restraint, restraint. And there are five uh, principles of this yama, the first of which is, anybody know the first of the five? It's ahimsa. And what is ahimsa? Ahimsa means non-violence. Kaposikaja. <laughs> I always make this mistake. I ask, you know, I know 20 people answer it, and all I hear is. <laughs> what is it? Ne nasinye. Ne nasinye. Ne nasinye. Ne nasinye. Ne Ne nasinye. Ne nasinye. Okay, so that's that's the very first part, and it's very it's super foundational to yoga, as explained by the 
um, commentators, the classical commentators on the Yoga Sutras. Basically, if you're not doing ne nasinye, you're not doing yoga. Whatever you may think you're doing, <laughs> it's something else. Which is ironic, because the original meaning of yoga was getting your horses ready for a battle, which doesn't sound much like ne nasim, it sounds more like nasim. <laughs> That's just how it is. Um, okay. So, now, what's also interesting, I find, um, so I mentioned that the Bhagavad Gita, this title, is something which came later. When? How much later? Hard to say. Somehow Indians were not very much into chronology and, and making historical records. They didn't care. Because who cares? That's details that in the ultimate, uh, from the ultimate point of view, really doesn't matter at all. <laughs> uh, because why does it not matter? Because Yoga is about getting from the, um, the world of time and space into a realm which is beyond time and beyond space. Hmm. So let's talk about getting beyond time and beyond space. Forget about this time and space. <laughs> In a sense, that's... Okay, so this title came later. Another thing that came later is the titles to each of the chapters of the Bhagavad-gita. And again, don't ask me when this happened. It could be that it happened in the 8th century with uh, the commentary Shankara, Shankaracharya. I, I don't know myself. But that's okay. What is interesting is just that we have titles of each of the 18 chapters each of which has included in the title the word yoga. And so the very first um, the very first chapter, which is sort of setting the scene, it's describing uh, this situation with the battlefield and Arjuna with his um, having uh, his um, emotional breakdown, nervous breakdown. Uh, so you may wonder, so does that first chapter also have a title with the word yoga? And the answer is yes. And what is that title? It's amazing. It's called Arjuna Vishada Yoga. Arjuna Vishada Yoga. It's the yoga of Arjuna's trepidation, his uh, distress. Yoga of distress? What kind of yoga is that? <laughs> Let's all go to a yoga studio, studio and practice Vishada Yoga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Incidentally, the way it is traditionally written, at the end of each chapter you get the title, Om Tatsat Iti Shimad Bhagavad Gita Supanishatsu Brahma Vidyayan 
Yoga Shastre, Sri Krishna Arjuna Samvade, Arjuna Vishada Yoga Nama, Pratamodhyaya. That's explaining, this is what this chapter is about. Uh, so, uh, as I said, then each of the chapters has a title, and therefore one can speak of 18 yogas. The Bhagavad Gita has 18 chapters, there are 18 yogas. At which point you may say, oh, okay, so probably one of them is going to be um, Ashtanga Yoga, and maybe there's a chapter called Raja Yoga, and maybe there's one called Hatha Yoga. Yeah? No. <laughs> None of the chapters are referred to by any of those terms which have become uh, fairly well known uh, in the present time. Um, but maybe before we go into that a bit more, I want to say a little more about the modern history of the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita, we understand as a very ancient text. According to the tradition, it was spoken by Krishna, it was recorded by Vyasa, and this was uh, according to the understanding of history as best as it's understood in the beginning of the present age, or not quite the beginning of the present age, at the end of the previous age, what was called Dvapara Yuga. Um, and that is commonly said to have been something more than 5,000 years ago. Anyone remember you were there? <laughs> Suddenly I had a flashback. I remember, I was there. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but the Bhagavad Gita then uh, became a, um, a text that was of special interest to Indian philosophers, um, most famously Shankara, uh, in the generally dated to sometime in the 8th century, um, what do they say, 780 to 820, or, yeah. And, um, what he was concerned with and what others, his teacher and some before them, and possibly going further back in time, but we don't have um, we don't we don't have records of them. They were concerned with uh, a particular way of doing philosophy, which came to be known as Vedanta. Vedanta, Veda, Anta, the end of Veda. Veda, in its broadest sense, simply means knowledge. Um, and this, I think, you have a cognate in Prevatsky. Yes, Vid means to know. No, Vid, to see. Vid is to see. Oh, Vid is to see. To know is? Oh, yes. Okay, so that's con. Uh, con Cognate with jnana, jnana, yeah. from which we have gnosis, so on. 
So uh, it started to become quite prominent from at least the 8th or 9th century when these uh, teachers of Vedanta wrote commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita uh, in Sanskrit language. They would write commentaries. They were interested in communicating with others who could read Sanskrit. <laughs> so they didn't really care very much about people like us. Um, it just didn't occur to them that, you know, we would... It really apparently didn't occur that there could be people outside of what we now call India who might even have a capacity to understand what they're talking about. So they just said, okay, forget about all those people. We're going to, in our little groups, we're going to talk about Vedanta. And then this discussion, what, what is the ultimate truth? This was the subject of Vedanta, based on essentially three texts. One was the Bhagavad Gita, one was uh, the Brahma Sutra, the Sutras, uh, also called uh, the Yasa Sutra, um, and also called Vedanta Sutra. And uh, the third source was actually several works called Upanishads. Uh, there's a collection of works, and of those several works, about 10 to 12 or 13 of them were identified as essential reading for anyone who wants to know what is the ultimate truth, Vedanta. So these three uh, became the source of this discussion on Vedanta, which continues from that time up to the present, in which there are debates, and the debates uh, are sometimes quite intense, like, you got it all wrong, we got it right, you got it wrong, we got it right. And this is why and they go into highly, highly technical discussions. Uh, for Shankara, the Bhagavad Gita was a bit of a challenge. And it was a challenge because the Bhagavad Gita is clearly a theistic work. And for Shankara, Shankara didn't have a problem with theism as such, but he had a problem with the idea that ultimate, ultimate reality is God. He wanted to say, no, 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 no. there's something beyond your your idea of God, that's nice, that will, that will help you. And if it makes you feel good, uh, that's fine. You, you, can, you can do bhakti yoga, that, will, that can help you, and eventually it will bring you to jnana, to knowledge. That was, I'm, I'm a little bit, um, you know, simplifying and stereotyping, but essentially that seems to have been his idea. So then, over the centuries, others, uh, the teachers of the 
Vaishnava tradition in particular, or traditions, uh, wrote extensive commentaries arguing. Basically, everybody starts with Shankara and either argues with him or against him. It's either you're with us or you're against us. <laughs> that was the that was the thing. But Shankara had a bit of a challenge with the Bhagavad Gita because of its uh, clearly theistic position. Um, now, okay, we're talking about titles of the Bhagavad Gita chapters, and I'm bringing this up because um, we're a little bit advertising. What's the word for advertising? Reklama. Reklama. We're doing a bit of advertising um, because we now have this little book which is intended as a summary of the Bhagavad Gita. It's called Osamnest Yoga Bhagavad Gita. He's laughing. Did I say it wrong? No. no. On the back it says, now you can really that. Ovdye ye predstav yena bhagavad gita ko poglavnina poglavnina. What means ko poglavnina? Chapter. Okay. Kako bismo stekli prododzi prododzi Pedodzku o osnovnim okvirima ovo djela te kako bismo svrnuli pozornost na različite načine na koje je yoga predstavljena kroz čitavo djelo. I won't make you suffer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I originally wrote this um, for translation into Chinese, Opa. into Mandarin. Uh, I sometimes visit China, but it's been more than three years now with COVID and all this, but uh, I was also teaching for some time in Chinese University in Hong Kong. So, and also yoga is popular in China. Have a lot of yoga studios. They have yoga studios there. That would amaze you at how fancy they are. Very high class. Marble. <laughs> and, um, and some yoga retreat centers, beautiful traditional Chinese architecture. So, um, so I was thinking, how can I help people to appreciate the Bhagavad Gita? Uh, because they're interested in yoga. So, well, just take the title of each of the chapters of yoga, uh, of the Bhagavad Gita, 
and then give a short summary, but focusing on that particular uh, theme uh, of each chapter. So that's what we've done. Uh, and uh, I also wanted that the book be uh, published in China legally. <laughs> you can, you can, a lot of things get printed in China illegally. People just pay some money to somebody and they print. <clears throat> but I wanted to have a legal publication. But to get a legal publication in China... It's complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. They have, you know, there's a censorship mm. process, and um, if it has to go through that system and get all the stamps before it's approved, and then they can publish it. And uh, the editor that I was discussing this with, of the publisher that I wanted to publish with, it was, uh, it's an academic publisher, he was super enthusiastic that, yes, let's publish this book. But he also said, if we get approval, it will be a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> because the subject, as I mentioned, is Bhagavad Gita is a very theistic book, and theism in China, ooh. Click. You can say anything you want, just don't talk about God. <laughs> Somehow or other, by a miracle, it was approved. Um, and by another miracle, we have a translation in beautiful Hrivatsky language done by none other than Lakshmi Priya Devi <laughs> Anyway, okay, enough reclam. <laughs> One of the chapters, um, the ninth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, is called Raja Vidya Raja Bhushya Yoga. Raja means king, Vidya means knowledge. There's different words for knowledge. Vidya, vidya can also mean something like technical knowledge, uh, skill, knowing how to do something can be vidya. And uh, guhya means uh, secret or confidential. So it's understood, the Bhagavad Gita, Raja Vidya, it is you can translate either as the king of knowledge, or it could also be translated as the knowledge for kings. At which point we all turn off and say, well, I'm not a king, and I'm never going to be a king, and I don't want to be a king, so it's not for me. No, it's for all of us, because it's also the king of knowledge. It's the Rajavindya Ramji Bhutan, 
the word sukha means happy, happiness. Susuka means really happy. <laughs> and uh, agyaya means perpetual. So it's a teaching which uh, Krishna is explaining is actually a perpetual knowledge. It's something that's it's always there, and in fact, it's always there. Yeah, it's within us, um, but it's very much covered. Uh, and how is it covered? Avritam jnanam etinam jnanino nitya vairita kama rupena kanteya dushvarena anandina Kama rupa. The word kama, you know, there's karma. But there's also kama. Uh, they can be related because when we respond to kama, we act. And that action, that is karma. And the result of karma is bandana. It is bondage in this world. Bondage is something we all experience. What is the bondage? It's the bondage of our, the whole sum and substance of our conditioning, which manifests physically as our physical bodies. <laughs> that was a little abstract, but take it the other way around. We all have physical bodies, and these physical bodies have wonderful capacities, and they also have limitations. Have you noticed? <laughs> yeah. They get tired. Uh, they they get hungry. <laughs> and guess what? Here comes the bad news. As we get older, it all gets more and more now, yoga practice, physical yoga practice, can help us uh, to minimize, to reduce, uh, in a certain sense, overcome some limitations of the body. And there is discussion in the third part of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali of how by Samyama, various meditations on, uh, on, well, different parts of the body or different objects, one can actually develop powers uh, which go beyond our ordinary comprehension of how physical, how the physical world works. Uh, siddhas, in other words, we and gain some powers. I remember years ago, um, there was this way when I was, before I kind of said goodbye to America uh, many years ago, um, there were a lot of teachers coming from India teaching various sorts of yoga and meditation. And it seems that one of them was uh, was promoting some sort of yoga in which you could actually 
presumably, maybe some of you know how to do this, to levitate. Do we have any levitators here? <laughs> Not yet. We are working on it. <laughs> yeah. So that that is a yoga sid siddhi um, that one can actually become lighter, lighter than the lightest. He's trying for it in his own way. <laughs> It's called motorcycle yoga. <laughs> um, where was I? So, Raja Vidya Raja Guhyam, uh, Pavitram. Uh, this is Pavitra. This is this is pure. This is not mixed uh, with motivated uh, practices. Motivated means we, we're in we're we're doing it, you know, for some some selfish benefit, we're doing it for some recognition, we're doing it for some ulterior motive. How would you say ulterior? Yeah, no, but it's ulterior, it's for some other, not for... Prakriveni. okay. Um, yeah, so, Pavitram. And Uttama. Uh, Uttama means ultimate, it's topmost. I mean, this verse, Samad says, yeah, this is Krishna advertising. Reklam. So yeah, it's but it's Krishna who is doing the, the advertising. So when Krishna advertises something, uh, yes, it's Arjuna recognizes uh, that Krishna is someone very special, not just special but uh, supreme. And uh, at the very end of the Bhagavad Gita, Sanjaya who has been narrating the Bhagavad Gita to Dhritarashtra, the blind king. Um, at the end, at the very end, uh, he reports to Dhritarashtra, he says, Yatra Yogeshvaro Krishna Yatra Parta Tagurvara Tatra Sri Vijayo Bhutir Dhruvamitir Matirmam. It's my opinion, Matirmama, <clears throat> that wherever there is Yogeshvara, Krishna, Krishna is described as the Yoga Ishvara, the Lord of Yoga. Yatra Yogeshvara Krishna Yatra Yatra Parto Dhanurdara, and uh, Parta is another name for Arjuna, and he's also known as Dhanurdara, he who holds a bow. Tatra, at that, in that situation, wherever these two are together, Tatra Shri, there will be four things. One of them is Shri. What is Shri? Shri is a very ancient word from Rig Veda, uh, which means all kinds of good things. <laughs> it means wealth, it means power, it, it means beauty, and all mixed together. Shri is 
opulence. There will be the presence of Sri. Uh, what else? Vijaya. There will be victory. Uh, there will be, okay, Tatra Sri Vijaya Bhutir. Bhuti. There will be great power. Bhuta. Power. And one more. Uh, because if you have Sri uh, and Bhuti and Vijaya, you may say, well, there's a lot of really nasty people in the world who have those things, uh, who are making trouble for a lot of other people in the world. So Krishna, uh, sorry, Sanjaya says, there will also be niti, and niti can be translated as morality. These four in combination will be there, he says, wherever there is Krishna and Arjuna. Excuse me. So where is Krishna and Arjuna? It's in the Bhagavad They are together in the Bhagavad Gita. Um, they are conversing, speaking. Um, so if one takes the Bhagavad Gita focusing on the yoga aspect, I think it can be very interesting. There's many ways of reading. The Bhagavad Gita is altogether 700 verses, which is, I mentioned before, relatively very short uh, compared to the Mahabharata, which is, yeah, something like 100,000 verses, although the critical edition is, I think, 75,000. Uh, okay, 700 verses. Someone posted on Facebook, I just saw it this morning, um, a recitation being done in Dallas, Texas, by 2,000 children. You've seen them? 2,000 children reciting by memory the entire Bhagavad Gita. They had prepared intensely for one year prior to this. I think they had an advantage. <laughs> the advantage is that when you are, you know, 10 years old, your brain is like a sponge. You can just soak up so much and remember. For me, it would probably take 20 years. <laughs> In any case, uh, Bhagavad Gita is, uh, can be can be heard, read, in so many different ways, but one way that I suggest uh, can be very nice is to focus on the, the yoga aspect. Uh, in our Bhakti Yoga Center, we understand the Bhakti at the Bhagavad Gita is really about Bhakti. <laughs> there will be those who say, no, 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 no. The Bhagavad Gita is about Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, Jnana Yoga, Vigyana Yoga, um, Raja Vidya Rajaguhya Yoga. And yes, there is one chapter that's called Bhakti Yoga. It's one of the shortest chapters in the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> chapter 12 has only 20 verses. 
So, you're saying the Bhagavad Gita is all about bhakti, but no, 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 it's about so many other things as well. Okay, if you want to read it that way, that's okay too. Krishna is very liberal. Krishna, Krishna just wants us to, you know, he wants us to take steps um, to get out of the out of the darkness in which we find ourselves, in which we implicate ourselves, in which we, even if unintentionally, we hurt others. Uh, he wants. He's showing a way how to take the steps. Um, it can be gradual. It can be by leaps and bounds. It depends very much on us. Um, but this is very much the opportunity. Uh, that Krishna is giving us, Yatra Yogeshwara Krishna, Yatra Partha Dhamuda, Tatra, Sri, what else? Bhuta, Niti, there's one more. Vijaya, we got it. Okay, Tatra, Sri, Vijaya, Bhutya, Dhruvam, Dhruvam means Definitely, certainly. Nitir Matir Oh, well, that's Sanjaya's opinion. <laughs> yeah. But again, the Bhagavad Gita is being read, it's being studied. Since centuries in the modern age, it was first translated into English uh, in the year 1785 uh, by one gentleman in India, uh, British named Charles Wilkins. Uh, it sort of leaped into Germany and the Germans really got into it. And the French also. I don't know when the first Croatians are going to be this time. Um, but now we have our Srila uh, Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita. When I say Srila Prabhupada, he emphasizes this is Bhagavad Gita as it is. Why as it is? Well, because he is following in a line of teachers. Yoga teachers know this. You learn from another teacher. You don't just learn from a book. So he learned from his teacher, Shivalakti Siddhanta, Saraswati Thakur. He learned from his teacher, Shivalakti Shoradas Bhavaji. He learned from, well, it's a little complicated, but he learns from Shivalakti Vinod Thakur. And so on, going back to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Sri Krishna Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, in the early 16th century. That's the immediate tradition, and then we can trace it back earlier. Uh, in this way, we have quite some opportunity to benefit from Bhagavad Gita, Hare Krishna. Thank you all for your kind attention and patience. I hope I didn't speak too quickly. I did okay. Your English is okay. Thank you all. Is, is there a anyone have a burning question? Clarify, clarify something. You want me to read a chapter of the Gita?
everybody's so hot, I'm like, okay, when is this going to be over? Here comes it. This is dear Samir. Yes, Hare Krishna. You have five questions. Come closer. First question. We talked about disciples asking gurus for their opinions some days ago. Where were we Was it in split? <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> uh, that's, we won't go into trouble. Okay. Preparing to get born in the family, um, uh, Kamsa took every one of his brothers and sisters before him uh, and smashed them, killed them. Brothers. Brothers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, is it uh, the virtue of Vasudeva that he let it happen, or should? He has been fighting for to protect his family. Ah, okay. That's an interesting question. Um, for those of you not familiar, this is a, oh the question. The question was about Krishna's birth and prior to his birth. Whether or not it was sort of moral and proper for. Vasudeva, not Vasudeva, that's another name of Krishna, his father Vasudeva, to not fight against Kamsa as he was murdering one child after another, uh, the six, um, the six brothers of Krishna. All right, this is a quite complicated story <laughs> uh, described briefly, relatively briefly, in the 10th book, the 10th skanda or canto of the Srimad Bhagavata Purana. So it's not Bhagavad Gita, it's another work which is much longer and which uh, is main, very much focused on the life of Krishna. Bhagavad Gita is Krishna's conversation with Arjuna in a particular episode within the lifetime of Krishna, uh, who by, we would say, worldly calculation lived in this world for some 125 years. That's what the tradition says. So there's quite interesting complexities about Krishna's birth, which involves stories behind stories and so on. And so it's hard to <laughs> elaborate. But to your question, was it appropriate uh, that Vasudev did not fight against he was in no position to fight against Kamsa. He was chained. He was, it was, he had no weapons. He, he didn't even have his fists. He was in a position of helplessness. 
we could say, no doubt, he would have done all in his power uh, to fight against. However, your question may be, well, yes, but how is it that he actually presented his first child to Kamsa? How is that? How is that? Is that Kamsa, sorry, that Vasudeva had made a promise. And the promise he made was that you can take my children and do what you uh, feel is necessary because it's not the first, not the second, not the third. It's the eighth child of Devaki who is foretold to be the cause of your, of Kamsa's death. It is the eighth child, it is not any before that. But, just so that you feel reassured, you can do whatever you like with the children as they appear. And to demonstrate that, he gave the first, he offered, he said, here, here's the first child. And initially, Kamsa said, no, 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 it's okay. It's not the first, it's not the seventh, it's the eighth child. Until... Narada Muni. Narada Muni. That Narada. I tell you, this Narada, this trouble me. <laughs> Devarshi Narada, this great sage of the of the Devas. What does he do? He, he says, come soon. What makes you think? I mean, okay, it was uh, the prediction is that it's the eighth child. But who knows? It could be any of the other children. Hmm? What do you think? Hmm? And so he fed them, fed him uh, this virus, and Kamsa became so anxious. He yes, I must kill one after <laughs> So that was not Vasudev's fault. Vasudev was offering. You take. If you want to blame someone, blame Narada. <laughs> oh, okay. The wolves? The bull. The bull. The bull, yes. Yeah. Because the cows give birth to males and females and so so when I get the bull, I do not have the capacity to take care of him, and I sell it to someone else, to some Kamsa, to do whatever he likes with it. Uh, so this is uh, the, 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 yes, the... It is what it is. It is what it is. So I'm, I'm trying, because I, I see that many... 
disagree with this practice. Yeah. And they teach me what should I do. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I simply try to find the reason why I'm doing so. So I found this story, also some some parallels between the, uh, between these two stories. Like, well, your parallel is quite a stretch. Good try. No, the problem is, I understand, it's a, it, it is a problem for uh, devotees who would like to care for cows, but then how are we going to care for the bulls uh, when they're born? Well, um, the Croatian government should be funding, that's actually how it should go, is they should be funding facility for uh, keeping uh, bovines throughout their natural life. That, they, uh, the governments are uh, subsidizing milk, isn't it? The milk that you buy in the, in the shop is subsidized, which means that if uh, the government didn't pay something to the farmers and so on, it would actually cost so much more. The real cost of milk, of cow milk, is so much more than what you're getting. Um, and what uh, we've found in, in England, we have, uh, there's a group of Krishna devotees, a small group, who have started an initiative called Ahimsa Foundation. And they've made an agreement with one farmer who is providing them the land and also the barn facility. Good first-class barn facility and plenty of land uh, for, keeping, for keeping cows and bulls so that they can live out their natural lives. And then the milk which they're producing, they are selling for something like three times what you pay for it in the shop, and because it's a ahimsa milk, people value it that much, and they're willing to pay, and they have a waiting list of a thousand people who would like to also get the milk, but there's only, they only have like 15 cows giving milk now. <laughs> so, it's going to a very limited uh, customer base. So that would be, so the answer to your question, I think, is let's focus. We have to see the realities now, but we also should be looking at what we would like to see. What we would like to see happen. And if we keep looking there and talking about it, we may start finding ways that it can be done. There may be ways. I don't know immediately. I don't have a simple formula. But I think we, instead of taking the easy way, you know, we want to be thinking of so that we can be showing people, so we can say, this is how we do it. 
and this is how it's possible uh, to do go raksha go seva. Mm. Is that okay? <laughs> I think it's how we got on cows. Well, cow, cow protection is mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita. It's the uh, dharma of uh, the Vaishyas. Krishi Goraksha Vanijam Vaishya Karma Svabhapacham. So we have a Vaishya. Doing Goraksha. Yeah. <laughs> right. Simple question. Simple question. Yeah. For opinion. Uh, you want an opinion? Yeah, no. I want uh, your. Instruction. Uh oh. Uh, where we chant Hare Krishna? Is it Krishna, Krishna, or Krishna, Krishna? Oh, this is a big question. <laughs> because I see some. Because if you do one and you get it wrong, you may be missing the boat. Right? <laughs> I just want to know uh, which is correct. 20 years now, 30 years, I'm chanting Hare Krishna, and then now they tell me, no, you got it wrong. It's Hare Krishna. <laughs> okay, where does this question come from? It comes from the fact that... Uh, in, in Sanskrit, what we transliterate as an R with a dot under it, it's called a retroflex R. And uh, the way it gets pronounced in Eastern India, this is Odisha and Andhra Pradesh and Tamil Nadu, maybe other places, I don't know. Uh, they really make it kind of like an R with a U, Krishna. Uh, Krishna, Krishna. Yeah. That's South India. Mm. And then in Northern India, it's more like Krishna, Krishna. And then you go to Bengal, and it's Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. That's another one, right? Some say it's not oh Ramo. Yeah, in, in Bengal it is. So, so the answer is depends on which part of India you want to be identified. <laughs> that was the <laughs> If you listen to Srila Prabhupada's chanting, I don't think he's chanting Hare Krishna. So, um, I mean, he was from Bengal, but he also doesn't chant Hare Krishna. Um, but, you know, his chanting is really very nice. Just follow that. You can hear how he's chanting. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, 